Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Has your career followed the path of least resistance? Or have you consciously planned your career development? Most of us, just especially in the nonprofit, just follow whatever opportunities arise or whatever people suggest we might do, whatever, you know, happens to come up in our line of vision. But Paul Nazareth is on the podcast today and he talks about a different way of advancing your career. And that's a very strategic way. He's going to go through the five C's of career advancement. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul if you don't already know him. Paul Nazareth is a leader in Canada's philanthropic world. Currently, he's with uh, Canada Association of Gift Planners, but he's got a colorful background with lots of different organizations. He was most recently VP at uh, the charity Canada Helps. He was an advisor at Scotia Wealth. He spent uh, over a decade with charities like the University of Toronto. He sits on a ton of boards, advises. Uh, he was an advisor at the committee at Humber College, post-graduating fundraising program, Carlton's master's in nonprofit leadership, and the list goes on. And he started doing some work and he um, started his own company called Connect, Work, Connect Working, which is a skill building program for people of purpose. And so you're going to hear Paul talk about the work he does with people to really help advance their careers strategically. So tune in and listen to some of the strategies that Paul is going to teach us around career planning as we talk about the five C's of career advancement. Welcome, Paul Nazareth. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today about career advancement. It's certainly been something that I focus on with the women that I work with, and I think needs to be focused on just a wee bit more in the nonprofit sector. So a lot of people know you, um, but tell us what has brought you to this work that you do today. And, you know, like, bring us up to date with where you are in your career and why this work is important to you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Kathy. I'm so excited to be here and I've listened to your work before. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people know me uh, in, a, in a couple of different roles. Currently, I'm the National Vice President of the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. And people know me as 20 years in planned giving, very passionate about that kind of strategy. But people also know me as a guide in career development, in uh, passion for networking and the strategy of it. And a lot of that is because I've seen in nonprofit how many people have struggled. And a lot of times they don't bring strategy to their career development because so few people get coaching or think of it as a strategic exercise and how much they have frankly truly suffered as a result. And I have a very strong passion to uh, helping the people that I care about to not go through that. So I think together, you know, we both are very passionate about that, bringing that strategy to career to help people not just do better, but feel better and have better lives. You know, just as you were talking, Paul, I got to thinking career planning is not a, a phrase that is used in nonprofit very often. It's I'm moving from job to job or I might advance into the next position or I might laterally move to another organization. But how do you define career planning or career advancement? You know, uh, I believe it was our Canadian icon, Drake, 
who pioneered the, the term YOLO, uh, you only live once. Uh, but actually, <laughs> a lot of my mentors have, have reminded me and taught me, life is long. Careers are actually really long. And when I, you know, for me, one of my big, uh, one of my personal sayings is, if hindsight is twenty twenty, why not live your life with other people's clear vision? So ask a leader who's lived a life that you kind of would like to say, how did you get here? How did this happen? Because the problem is, is that all bios are a straight line. It looks like everything was intentional and all that. Kind <laughs> of As we know with the world we're living in right now, you know, there are curveballs. So it is helping people to think in that strategic mindset. And, you know, I'm sure you experience this a lot as a coach. When I try to talk to people about thinking one or two jobs ahead or a decade ahead, very often, straight up, they laugh at me. Yeah, me too. I, say, that's oh, one know, of the questions I always ask is, where do you want to be in five years? I don't know, wherever the job takes me. And again, a lot of people can think five, but they think thinking 10. Some of them even think it's hubris to think like that. But again, yes. part of it is to say responsibly. And again, we're going to have a great conversation about the five C's. But how do we let it arc? How do we build to these places? And again, as always, if you don't have a, a destination in mind, how will you get there? Right? Yeah. Any road will take you somewhere. But so many people let their career be motivated by, by you know, the attrition, by the waves and the, the seas, uh, kind of the current. Whereas for the people who think and act strategically, they're, you know, sky's the limit. Yeah. Why is it so important in nonprofit sector for people to focus on their career development? You know, I think a, a lot of us are willing to admit now, uh, you know, especially during different crises, et cetera, that in our sector, like a lot, you know, we have precarious employment. The ground is shaky. And a lot of us actually for our organizations, it's feast or famine when it comes to funding. Mm -hmm. funding, donor funding, you know, different situations around. So because of this instability, it's really important that you keep the flexibility and your options. You know, it's Dory Clark, the great writer for Harvard Business, who talked about the fact that nobody is going to work for one organization for 30, 40 years anymore. And mm -hmm. so now the smart player thinks of their career as a project or a portfolio career. So what will you be working on in these years? What do you want to develop? Where do you want to go? And thinking deeper about purpose, not just passion, is something that can really help people in this space. Okay, go back to project or portfolio. Just explain that. You know, so I, and I'll, I'll use myself as that example. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've really followed instead of, because when people said to me as a young person, follow your passion. I'm like, I'm passionate about cheese. Oh, <laughs> it's going to be a great job. Um, but following curiosity, thinking about purpose. And I'll tell you, I am a fundraiser because I despise fundraising. I have an adult onset violent allergy to chocolate almonds, and I never go to galas or golf tournaments. I want that strategy in fundraising. And so I followed my curiosity to the concept of planned giving, which is strategic giving. From there, from charities, I went to a bank to look at it from another perspective, from an advisor-client perspective. I let my curiosity, because I knew the internet was going to be life, so let me go to Canada Helps, not just to see what was going on in small charity and moving large amounts of money for many organizations, but I knew it would help, help me also get deeper into strategic major gift philanthropy of hundreds of millions of dollars. And then from there, and again, people said there would never be a job where I work now. It's a tiny nonprofit association. There was only six or seven employees. 
but looking at a long-term vision, saying, I know that's going to happen. And even now, I have another kind of plan for the 10-year plus and what I will be kind of the retirement piece. But it's always about, for me, that portfolio and project. What are the skills I want to develop? Who are the people I want to be working with? What are the concepts and actually maybe even uh, physicality? You know, for me, one of my great desires was to, was to listen to Canada, was to really take on the geography. And mm-hmm. in the 10 years, through Canada Helps and CGP, I've been able to cross the country probably 100 plus times and just sit at the feet of great people all over this country and listen to them about the terroir of philanthropy in that part of the country. Mm-hmm. Incredibly educated. So I hear that. And I, I, I mean, if people listening can hear your passion, they know that they get it. Now, the challenge that they're going to tell you and me is, yeah, but there's no money for training. There's no money in nonprofits. We're lucky if we get the basic training covered. What's your answer to that? You know, 10 years ago, I would have had another answer. And that I really um, I used to work with a lot of peers and even myself to work, to work on negotiating into contracts, to, uh, to find different places for funding, et cetera. And then really, about two years ago, something really changed. And you know what? It's time we credit millennials for this because they said, I'm not going to wait for the world to deliver me what I need. And they went out and they got it. I had never met more people in their 20s budgeting for coaching in the same way that they budgeted for the gym and for their physical health on food and stuff like that. So it then, frankly, then that virus kind of built out to the rest of the cohorts. And now I see uh, a kind of a boomer leaders, CEO saying, all right, here are the pieces I'm missing that the board is really leaning on me for. And people are saying, okay, it may not be the leadership coaching. It may be the financial skill, the management piece. Um, you know, I always think it's better and organizations owe it to individuals so that they can be great leaders to build this in. But where people are not getting it, they are going out and getting it themselves. And it's an exciting time because of that. Yeah. And I will tell you, the women in my training library, I think 85 to 90% of them pay for it themselves. This is something that they've put as a priority they want to advance their own growth and development. They want to be a better leader and certainly maybe in this organization now, but again, they see the bigger vision. Where am I going with this and how do I need to develop myself to get there? They're not waiting for somebody to say, it's okay if you go to this training and they're certainly not waiting for somebody to steer the training. I mean, we've all seen the flavor of the month. Oh, everybody's got to go take this course now. And, you know, we all kind of like, the little kids playing soccer, we all go over there and do that course. But instead, they're going, no, what do I need? We, you know, what are my skills, strengths, and talents? How can I use those better? And then how do I fill the gaps? And, and you've captured this so well in your five C's, right? It, it, yeah, let's dive into those. Strength. Yeah, that, that is, is eternal. Yeah. So I have been talking about the five C's in the last few podcasts. If you guys haven't listened to them, go back and listen to the episodes. But we're talking about you have to have competence. You have to know you can do it. You have to have confidence. You have to feel better and believe you can do it. Composure is incredibly important in leadership because that's, you know, being able to stay composed when you're in conversations and when you're dealing with stuff character, all that stuff around integrity and honesty and trust, so vitally important. And then the courage to do all of that. So 
Paul is going to jump in. Now, Paul, you do some coaching with individuals on their careers, correct? Yeah, you know, my what I built in this new program called Connect Working is more of an intervention style piece where you know I work with nonprofit networks and actually even business schools and others to have, have a one-time piece, often keynotes, et cetera, to give them the resources, and then they can pick and self-study and go from there. Again, you know, I believe that a proper accredited coaching is a thing. So I do a lot of referrals to professional coaches like yourself. And what I'm trying to do is connect people to great public resources that are out there. Right. Yeah. So, you know, jumping into the... the yep. Piece, Dive in. Uh, you know, so one of the strongest ones that struck me in the past couple of years, Lolly Daskal, global bestseller, talked about how confidence will come through competence. Yes. And I it because she broke apart one of the phrases that I detest the most in, in the world, which is fake it till you make it. <laughs> I don't like it. Not a fan. Because again, I, you know, we all try this stuff and it felt hollow. It felt inauthentic and scary. This is how people have that fraud syndrome, that, that, so that fear. Yeah. You will have no fear if you cultivate competence and it will drive the competence. What do I mean by that? Really tactical. You know, in the world of nonprofit, I have a lot of great leaders in, say, fundraising program. They've been tactical people and they want to ascend to leadership. Well, you know what? There's nothing for us easily to get MBAs and things, but frankly, there is training through groups like CPA on financial management. There are formal courses uh, like board courses through colleagues like uh, Calgary Chamber Volunteer Organizations, Vantage Point in BC, even ICD, the Institute of Corporate Directors on board training and governance. So there is a lot there. I often, you know, if anybody remembers Trivial Pursuit, I often describe it as that, that piece with all the little parts there and filling in those parts. And often it yeah. is finance, management, uh, training, the actual tactical of the organization and gaining those will give you that competence. I was talking to a client today and she's realizing the need for her organization to be more strategic. You know, they do their job here, they fit into this little box, but she needs to connect and collaborate more. And so she's got herself onto some committees and, and group work. And she says, but I'm not good at networking. I'm an introvert. And I said to her, when that happened to me, when I first moved into my leadership position and I had to start networking, the very first thing I did was head to the library and got five books on networking. I didn't know how to do it either. I'm an introvert as well. And so it's that competence. If you don't know how, you'll never feel confident. And you know the confidence in networking comes from that next C composure. Yes. And truly when we think about the great books, and again, you know, one of the blessings of my life is I really invested in social media, uh, kind of early on blogging and podcasting and things in the late 2000s. And it allowed me to meet quite a number of these famous authors. Uh, Susan Cain and Adam Grant and all of them, you know, uh, Heath Ferrazzi, all of them. And to really dive into their work, it was about building the skills. You know, in fact, uh, mm -hmm. almost 20 years running, Globe and Mail bestseller is the Canadian networking book, Work the Pond. And it is very tactical and practical, how to break into a group of closed circle people, all of that. Mm -hmm. Again, through working on everything from body language to understanding your purpose, strategies on the day of. You know, these books have things like where's the ideal place to wear your name tag? How do you shake hands? All of that. That yes. will give you the competence. But you know what? Like a muscle, we got to keep working it. We got to be out there, not necessarily networking events. Again, for a lot of people, I tell them at a stage in your life, because it's all about age and stage. You know, for me at building a family, et cetera, at those times, it was not easy to go out. 
but being online, blogging, podcasting, yeah. all that, at that time, that really helped. But being present, being in dialogue and doing the active piece. Today, when we can't gather, I'm on a Zoom call or a phone call every day at 7 a.m., helping someone with career and learning yeah. from their journey. You know, and, and I love that you say that, that you need to practice. And what I often tell people is practice outside your comfort zone. So if you're trying to network in a meeting and you're going in and these are all, you know, the big suits or the smarter people or the bigger organizations or whatever your mind's telling you, it's hard to do it there. I joined Toastmasters years ago, and that was a fabulous way to practice outside of the, the heat of the, the meeting. And just as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, even practicing if you go to church and you're used to just sitting in your little pew and never looking around and not having any con- practice there, you know, have a conversation with the old guy beside you, at least start to practice in an easy environment. And, and you know, and you found that. that the kernel of that power is community. Yes. Where people are. And you, you know, I learned from a great colleague of mine, Sheena Greer, she's in the prairies in Canada and she talked about the power of play. And, you know, one of my challenges in the world of plan giving very often, it's tax and law and things. And I got suited up and the tie got very tight. Yes. Uh, and we, we, we tend to gravitate towards formal networking places. And she reintroduced me to the concept of pay, uh, play and actually mm-hmm. followed that passion to say, go into spaces that are fun. Go and create things and do things that are different. Yeah. And I really encourage people to say your volunteer roles to be the opposite of your work work. Right? So the pendulums must be visit to each other. So if your work is very administrative, you need to be volunteering in a very people-oriented place. If you're in a people-oriented job working with donors directly, et cetera, look at diving into the techniques of governance and et cetera. And if you let those pendulums swing opposite, again, a lot of people, they don't turn over their volunteer roles. They don't turn over their mentors. You know what? When you from manager to executive network, it's time to turn over your board of personal directors, as I like to call it, to say it's time to step it up. You need people who are ahead of you, behind you, lateral, technical mentors, all of those different pieces. In the training library, I have a course on goal setting for for the year. And then the following course, the, the following course is around creating your personal and professional development curriculum. And part of that is Who's going to mentor me? What training do I need to take? What book do I need to read? But what you introduced at the very beginning, and I think this is a challenge for many women and and leaders in nonprofits, is you do have to be strategic about it. That means you have to stop, sit down, grab a piece of paper, you know, plan this. This doesn't just happen. And that's where a lot of your material is really helpful. It helps people to unpack. Yeah. big believer in the power of journaling and all of that and making the time to think. I go on two personal retreats a year. Uh, I'm really lucky that my alma mater, my university actually owns a farm. Uh, And I go up to that farm twice a year. I run a personal strategic planning retreat where I unpack, where I journal things. Whoa, 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 whoa. Say that again. I run a what? A personal strategic planning retreat. And I'm guessing you're by yourself? I am. And, you know, I have small kids and animals and things. So there's also benefit to that peace of mind <laughs> to get that, that silence. You know, there's a walk there's a, there's a beautiful forest and things, you know, today psychologists are prescribing nature bathing. No kidding. When we, we, we had this stuff all along, you know, so I get up there and I use materials like yours to do that unpacking cause effect. Where do I want to be? How do I get there? What are the resources that are needed? Who are the people that will help me leverage to get to these places. 
Uh, and then I also have a little insidious thing where I do that. And I actually do that for other people. I yeah. actually attack and plan other people's careers uh, it, because they're people I care about. I yes. think, you know, here is the person who's the smartest in Canada on X. How do I help them to get into this place? And I, now I actually, over the past decade, have developed this to do it with them. And it's a service to my network. But together, we all march forward. Yeah, yeah. Intentionally. And I believe that when we do this individually, the organizations will be more strategic and intentionally moving forward as well. Indeed. And, you know, that leads us to the last two C's of care yeah. and courage. And again, a lot of these are, are, are built into each other. Mm-hmm. When people talk about, you know, developing character, a lot of the old school methods were things like faith, community, uh, academic study. Um, David Brooks has an incredible book called The Road to Character. And the difference between developing resume values and yes. values. And unfortunately, you know, you look at our school systems today, et cetera, they're really talking about how to gain the resume, LinkedIn algorithms, uh, and the challenge is that people are encouraged to do things that are resume values, that are LinkedIn skills, uh, as opposed to saying, what do you want people to say about you at your, when you're gone? You know, what, what is the impact you want to have on this earth? And buying your name on the side of a building, we've learned, is not forever. You will live forever on the hearts and, frankly, for me, the careers of other people. One of my personal goals is to affect positively the careers of a million people. Mm. So that's where the scaling comes in. But that will only happen when you work on the character. And again, by developing it, you will find the courage you need. How do we develop resilience? Again, it is a muscle that needs to be worked. You will find whatever your strength is. So, you know, for me, it's poker, to tell you the truth. It's It's the risk piece. It's the emotion, that flaring of emotions. Everybody has a different way of doing it, but you've got to work on it. Yeah, yeah. Go back to the two different types of values. Say them again. Yes. So resume values and eulogy values. Eulogy values. So one of the things that I do with people is, so that's an exercise that Paul has done and I have done. I know um, you write what you want people to say about you and you die. You basically write your own eulogy. And some people think that's really creepy and weird, but you'll never get there if you don't know, again, where you're going. I'll often say to people, you know, write what you want people to say when you leave this organization. So, or your 10th anniversary or whatever, what do you want people to stand up and talk to you about? And then I'll back it up even further and I'll say, you just ran a meeting and you walk out. What do you want people to say that are still sitting in that meeting? Because that's developing your character. If they're gossiping and whispering about, oh my God, I can't believe she just did that. And did you see this? And she just, you're not developing great character today. And that's where it starts is today so that you get that long-term impact. Wow. That's an incredible insight. That's so much more, that's even more granular. Because again, people talk to me about struggling with that long-term piece, whereas this is following that portfolio, that project mindset piece, right? Yeah. Uh, I literally was standing at a staff gathering of me leaving one of my jobs. It was a gigantic charity. Uh, and when people kind of shared their thoughts on me, although it was positive, it was so kind of misguided, not clear. Uh, and I had gotten through some of the values I was trying to communicate, but not some of the strategy. And it was uh-huh. a reminder to say that if you don't explicitly try to impart and say, you know, I've had th- two or three leaders. I work for an incredible leader right now. And it is very intentional. Again, I set 10-year goals of people I want to work with and for. My last two leaders have had sayings that they live by. Uh, not their own. My last was uh, came from Voltaire, which was, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. 
Say that again. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Ooh. Get it done. As Seth Godin likes to say, yep. ship, ship out the it. Door. And that's why one of the reasons we were in a bank, why we frankly outmaneuvered a lot of competitors is everybody else was trying to sculpt it to be perfect, to present. And the world doesn't work like that. You know, I'm launching a website with one of my teams right now. And my head of communications reminded me, websites are never done. There's no such thing as the finish. There's the launch. And yeah. then iterate, iterate, iterate. You know, um, I worked with some architects when I was at a university. And they taught me about design thinking. And it was incredible and totally translatable to web. But also, again, our profile, our character, our mm-hmm. vibe. We have the ability to sculpt these things. And so many people are letting someone else tell their story. So I'll add to that in that you were just saying the say the quote again about good and perfection. Yes, don't, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Right. So my top value is excellence. And if you're talking about character, you can overuse or underuse character strengths. So if I underuse excellence, I get sloppy in my work. But if I overuse excellence, I get perfection. And so one of the things that I I journal daily, I write down the word excellence every day. And then I write down what am I working on to be excellent. So today I want to have an excellent podcast with you. What does that require in me? It requires in me not to be a perfectionist, but to be engaging and, and be prepared. Paul and I had notes ahead of time. We didn't just dive into this without being prepared. But we didn't have it scripted, like has to be perfect, has to fit into this box. It has to be good. And for me, it has to be excellent, which is like, I want 95%, but I know I got to ship it at 80%. Yeah. You know, again, it's that intentionality. Yeah. You know, I study a lot of, uh, of great leaders, uh, but one of the groups that really fascinates me is comedians, you know, and what do they do? How do they create those kind of sets? It's the intentionality. They say, here are the things I'm going to bring out. Then they tell the stories. And for those of us in fundraising, working with donors, working with funders, you know, the people that walk in with the case for supports and all the papers and things, they're not really having the biggest discussions. No. You know, people, and I used to, one of the leaders I worked for, I would observe them and they would drive a lot of analytical thinkers crazy, but they would come into a meeting with someone who was frankly a multimillionaire or billionaire and they would help them dream together. Yes. Here is the canvas. Your money is the paint. What is it you want to make happen? And they would do it. And the person would then paint a beautiful picture and then say the magic words. How much does that cost? (laughs) And the answer was never less than several million dollars. And I've had conversations and been in the room for answers where it's the answer is over a hundred million dollars. And the person Mm -hmm. said, well, that's my vision. There you go. I told you what I wanted. Then I asked you, how do we make it happen? And of course, always within the confines and abilities of the organization. But that's that magic. You know, again, that's why I'm so passionate about that kind of what we do in strategic gift planning, because that's the strategy. What I really want, and I think you and I can help people do, is do that with their career. Yeah. You've asked this question in one of your previous podcasts to say, you know, you're at the end of your career and you look back. What do you want to see? Mm-hmm. Just don't ask that question. Surely nobody often in their 20s asks that question. Uh, but even at the middle to late end of people's careers, right? I'm, who do I want to affect? What do I want the sector to look like because of the work that I've done? 
So, you know, these are really powerful things to help people. But again, as a coach, I think your superpower is bringing it down to the daily and the granular. Yes. And, you know, and it comes from the training that you've got. And that's why I believe so strongly in people that bring actual set methodologies to the table. Well, and I think that's why it's so important. You know, when I was coaching a leader the other day, she was talking to one of her employees and she started to use character words with him around integrity. And, and he said, yeah, I want to be seen as reliable. Okay, great. Those are words. But what's the action attached to those words? Oh, yeah, my stuff is always late. Well, nobody's going to judge you as reliable if you're always late, right? So what's the action you need to do today to get there? And again, like you just said, I think so often... And I know the self-help world is full of this. Just say some affirmations or just think positive or, you know, just dream it and it'll happen. No, you actually have to break it back down to what am I doing this hour, this minute? Because if you're not breaking it down, it's really hard to create the vision that you want to create. But, you know, as you were talking about writing that word every day and journaling, et cetera, there still is. And, you know, we're now unpacking it, finding more science into it. You know, Harvard Business, uh, Hermania Ibera has written this, uh, Whitney Johnston with her work in career redevelopment, and even Brene Brown very recently, all have unpacked the science behind intentionality. Yes. That is really exciting because it's helping more people find their way to it to say, all right, it's not the woo-woo kind of just saying and it's going to come into being, just like you saying, cause, effect. Mm-hmm. Come, what is the action that will do that? And we need to do that work. But again, most people don't do the work to find what is the outcome I want to achieve in work or career. And the extra addition to that is, and write it down. The science about writing stuff down is incredible. People that that write down their goals are what, 80% more effective than people who don't? And, you know, again, coaching and journaling, it was a time in my life I actually referred to it as cheating. Ah, say more. I So, you know, I, I said, look at these people doing these things or whatever. Uh, and I didn't understand why they did it, how they got access to it. Um, you know, and I never understood again who was paying for the coaching, how they got access to these things. And then I met some brilliant people who had invested in themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a person a couple of weeks ago say to me, I got the option of buying a Peloton, right, that super expensive indoor bike or investing in my career and coaching. One will help me, and health is a powerful thing, but make no mistake, this other one is going to pay me dividends. Yes. It is going to multiply my salary. It is going to cut down the number of years I work in certain areas, and it is going to propel me to go further faster. So, the, you know, that's the exciting part. But again, so many people don't do it. Journaling, I give away journals, and I share, again, some great resources. Robin Sharma has written on journaling. Mm. Me, it was when I was at a, a small event called the Peel Leadership Center in uh, Mississauga, Ontario. Bruce McDonald, CEO of Imagine Canada, was speaking and he shared why and how he journals, how he got that from a leadership retreat in the business sector, and that it's not diaries, it's not dear mom and dad. From <laughs> There's incredible strategy that goes into it. And if I said, all right, CEO of Imagine is doing that, this is something I really need to invest in. And then as time goes on and I listen to more leaders, I found how many more intentional strategic leaders are doing it. Yes, it is so true. And you're right. It's not dear diary. And I often just say, just fill out the worksheet. I mean, it's the same thing. 
but yeah, ask yourself a question, answer the question, whatever. Uh, the te- technique I shared in one of the uh, podcasts earlier, sorry, my, I just hit my knee on my microphone. <laughs> in one of the podcasts earlier was write a memo to yourself. You know, hey, you need to work on your leadership strategy. Here's the three things you need to do. Da, 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 da. There it is. That's journaling. Doesn't have to be in a pretty pink journal with a fluffy pen or anything. No yeah. lock and key. <laughs> the, um, the business podcaster, Tim Ferriss, is one of the most listened to in the whole world. Swears by it. And actually, one of the things that really has helped me is he says, you know, I use it to detoxify. Yes. I write emails. I write emails to people that have made me angry. Uh, I, I dump all the stuff that is haunting me and really holding me back. He does it on a daily basis in some exercises and, and larger ones as part of that retreat. Uh, again, I've you know, really found personally that having that time away and again, doing it intentionally has been very strong for me. Yeah. Uh, now doing it with other people has been incredibly fulfilling. So that's part of the connect working piece to start running these workshops I work for charities, for business schools, any place where people are thinking about that intervention. How do I think about the skills and then what can I take and start doing in my life? So go summarize the five C's for us. So for sure. So you will find competence where you will find confidence in competence, develop your core skills and practical tactical skills. Composure, especially when it comes to networking and interpersonal development, is the study of human connection and where you're weak or strong and developing both. You will find courage by by working on character. And again, it needs to be worked on. Defining who you want to be, writing that all out, and don't fake it till you make it. Really define it until one day you are it. And work on that resilience, work on the negotiation, all those things, and that will give you the courage. So they're all very much linked together to bring someone confidently to the future. Awesome. All right. So Paul, tell us where people can find you. And I think you have a resource too you wanted to share with people. Is that right? You know, yeah. So uh, the resource page that I'll share with you. and they yep. can download- So people can grab that on the download link. Tell us what it is. So, you know, it's just a collection for me of like we talked about the five C's and some of the resources that I've seen have really helped a lot of people in my network. Uh, Again, you know, I'm a voracious reader. I really want to go for publicly accessible things people can get to, podcasts, books and all that. And I've assembled a resource list there. Uh, And then my place of residence where people can find me is LinkedIn. That's where I really live. You know, pandemics aside, I still travel a lot and I'm all over the country, but LinkedIn's the easiest place to find me. Uh, that and my friend Twitter. <laughs> so spell your name so people know how to find you. Sure. Uh, Paul, P-A-U-L, and Nazareth, N-A-Z-A-R-E-T-H. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Paul, for coming on the podcast, sharing your wisdom, uh, and offering so many great resources, because I think people were probably jotting notes down and uh, uh, thinking about things in different ways. And so head on over to the podcast notes page. You'll find it at the bottom of the podcast and you'll get the resource that Paul has shared and, you know, take your time to develop yourself. Be strategic about your growth and development. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Don't expect it to just happen. Be strategic. And that's my dear, what's going to move you from surviving to thriving in both your leadership and your life. Go make the rest of your day. Awesome. My dear.
If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the training library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome.